But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, well, then who exactly is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, It was on the 5th of July at my last church, and I drove into the church parking lot. The 5th of July, the day after Independence Day. So I got to the church, I got out of my car, and I walked across the asphalt toward the sanctuary. The light of the early morning sun was perfect as it was coming through the stained glass windows, and there was this just graceful silence in the room. So I knelt down at the altar, and I prayed for God's will to be done in my life. And then I got up, and I walked to my office on the other side of the building to start work. Checked some emails, I made a few phone calls, and eventually I opened up my Bible to begin working on the sermon for the following Sunday. And some time passed, and then my phone began to ring. I looked at it, and the caller ID said that it was the church secretary on the other side of the building calling me. So I picked up the phone, and I said, what do you want? And she said, um, not really sure where to begin, but... Did you happen to see the woman laying in her bikini down in one of the church parking spaces when you drove in this morning? And friends, that's how it all began. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. From the safety of the secretary's office, we peered through the blinds and we assessed the situation on the asphalt. All the way away, the furthest spot from the building on the main road, there was a young woman laying on her back, wearing nothing but a bikini, and she wasn't moving. The secretary promptly elbowed me in the ribs, and she said, You're a pastor. Aren't you supposed to do something? I said, Of course I'm supposed to do something. And I said it as I waited for someone driving by to do that something. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw the man in the ditch, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man in the ditch, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan while traveling came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. I felt absolutely pitiful as I reluctantly made my way across the parking lot, unsure of what was about to happen to this woman and to me. Car after car came flying down the road while the woman was curled up on the asphalt, and not one of them so much as slowed down as to check out the scandalous scene. As I got closer, I thought about picking up a stick so I could poke her to find out if she was still among the living. But then as I got closer, she slowly rolled over on her side, and she put her hand in her head and tossed her hair back a little bit, and I could smell her. Pretty close, I could smell her. She smelled like the basement of a fraternity house. The little clothing she had on had these little rips and smudges on it, and she looked utterly perplexed. For a time, neither of us spoke. And then I remembered that I was supposed to be a pastor, so I said, "Uh, can I help you? She said, honey, I could use a ride. And she said it with a hiccup and a twinkle in her eye. So I slowly offered her my hand, and I picked her up from the ground, and as I was doing so, she said, I'm sure you're wondering how I got here. To be honest, I'm wondering too. The last thing I remember was being at the park last night for the 4th of July, partying, having a whole lot to drink. And then I woke up in someone's yard over there. She pointed down the road. She said, I tried to walk home, but I lost my phone. I lost my wallet. And honestly, I think I'm still a little drunk. So I decided to to take a nap here in this nice parking spot. I said, okay, I'll take you home. 
The Samaritan went to the man, bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them, and then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The bikini-clad woman and I made our way as we wobbled across the parking lot, and I could feel the eyeballs of everyone in their cars silently judging me as they drove by. It took an inordinate amount of time to make it from her napping location to my car. We had to stop no less than three times for fear that she was going to empty out everything she had put in the night before. Eventually, I struggled to get her buckled safely into the car and asked if she could guide me to her house. To which she said, you should have been there last night. The lights and the colors and the drinks, oh, it was just perfect. So I asked again, can you help me get to your house? And she responded by pointing with her index finger toward the main road. I thought, oh, this is great. Driving by charades. This is going to be fun. So we reversed out of the parking lot, and I began to follow her finger as she guided me through town. At one point, we neared the top of one of the tallest hills in Stan, and she slowly raised her hands up to the top of my roof, and she said, Woo! I love this part of the ride! As we went down the hill. When we passed by the police station, she started to sink down as deep as possible into the seat next to me for fear that she would be seen until her feet were up on my dashboard and she let forth a burp that smelled like stale beer, hot dogs, and regret. When we came to one of the stoplights on our journey, there aren't many in Stanton, but one of the ones we stopped at, I looked across at my cargo and discovered that she had fallen asleep. So I gave three quick taps on my horn to wake her up and she promptly pointed her finger forward on our journey. We had a time finding her house, driving up and down streets, which she either could not read or could not remember. But eventually we pulled up in front of a nondescript house and she let out a sigh of acceptance. Her journey had come to an end. The next day, the Samaritan took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper and he said, hey, take care of him. When I come back, I will repay you what more you spend. The bikini woman and I sat very uncomfortably in my car for a few minutes while she looked out the window at her future with a strange and very detached look on her face. So are you a pastor? She asked. I said, well, that's what they call me on Sundays. She said, do you do this kind of stuff a lot? I said, well, not enough. What about you? Do you do this a lot? And she said, honey, this happens to me all the time. She opened up my car door and she fell out of my car. She had to crawl across the road until she got to her yard. Had to use a lamppost to right herself. She foolishly made her way, fumbling across her lawn to her door. She started patting down her thighs for pockets that weren't there, for keys she had lost the night before. Until she just banged on the door, until somebody opened it, let her in, and I never saw her again. Which of these, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, oh, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Jesus ends this parabolic encounter with a great question. Which of these three do you think was the proper neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And immediately, we all know how the story is supposed to go. We know how it's supposed to work for us. The good Samaritan is the good neighbor. We're supposed to be good neighbors to our neighbors. But who really wants to be like the Samaritan? And the Samaritan's not a very good example. At least he's one that we should be careful to imitate. He's a fool. He is nothing but a fool. He wastes good money on a no good stranger in a ditch. Gives him his own ride. Then has the gall to put him up in the swankiest hotel in town without receiving anything in return. We don't want to be like that. 
Moreover, we forget because we're so far removed from the story that Samaritans during the time of Jesus were outcasts. They were losers. He is a loser who comes to deal with another loser. The Samaritans' actions are reprehensible. No parent would ever tell their child to act this way. The Samaritan lays down his life, whatever it might have been, for someone he doesn't even know, simply because he, as an outcast, has found solidarity in another dump of life that has hit somebody else. He is a loser. A loser who finds his truest neighbor another loser. Which, incidentally, is what the gospel is all about. Jesus came to save a lost and a losing world by becoming lost and losing on the cross. But in this world of ours, populated by losers like you and me, all of us are hopelessly committed to a version of the world that is not dictated by losing, but dictated by winning. That we have to do everything we can, to earn all we can, to be the best that we can. That we have to look out for numero uno, and that's it. And it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic, but it is tragic. It is tragic because grace only works in the midst of being able to recognize how badly we need it. Or to put it another way, if Jesus wanted to be a motivational speaker, he would have ended his story differently. He would have said, now the moral of the story is, don't be like the Samaritan. If you act like the Samaritan, it will ruin your life. You will become a mockery among your friends. You will lose everything in your bank account. You will be a loser. Thanks be to God that Jesus isn't a motivational speaker. Jesus is the Lord. Which brings us back to this question at the end of the parabolic encounter. Which person was a neighbor to the man in the ditch? But what if there's a better question? And what if the better question is this? Which person in the story is Jesus? Which person in the story is Jesus? We read these parables, these stories all the time, and I've said this again and again. The parables are always primarily about Jesus. They're only secondarily about us. They don't teach us about who we are. They teach us about who God is. So the central figure in this story, contrary to just about every version of the story ever told or ever preached, is not the Good Samaritan. He is not the main character. He is simply one of three people who actually figures out what it means to be a good neighbor. Jesus is in the story. And he's the one who demands all of our focus and our attention. He is the one to whom the three are either neighborly or not. Jesus is the one down in the ditch. Jesus is free among the dead. Again and again, time after time in the Gospels, Jesus is with the last. He is with the least. He's with the lost. He's with the little, and he's with the dead. If we want this parable to tell us to imitate the Good Samaritan, to be like the Good Samaritan, it certainly says that, and that's fine. But if that's all the Good Samaritan is good for, then it isn't very good. Instead, it leaves people like you and me feeling fine or guilty. We feel fine about thinking about the times we've been neighborly toward our neighbors, or we feel guilty thinking about the many times we haven't. When the fact the whole story isn't about feeling fine or even about feeling guilty, it's about how Jesus is in the ditch. That the Lord of Lords, with all power, with all might, with all wisdom, with all understanding, has condescended himself to a miserable existence. That Jesus is not the Good Samaritan. Jesus can be found in the place of our own ditchness and our own suffering. The story is nothing but another reminder that we don't have to go looking for Jesus. Or even that we have to be like the Good Samaritan to earn Jesus. It's that Jesus was willing to do for us what we could not and would not do for ourselves or our neighbors. Jesus has moved in next door, knowing that all of us, his neighbors, are a bunch of losers. 
That's why it's called good news. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. I don't know if I've ever felt more proud than I did after I dropped off that bikini woman and drove back to the church office. Because I had been the good Samaritan. I had followed the rules. I had done everything I was supposed to do. But the longer I thought about it, the worse I felt. You know why? I never even asked her name. I never asked her name. I didn't ask for a phone number to check on her later to make sure she was okay. I didn't offer her any money. I didn't offer to call the police in case something really horrible had happened to her the night before. I didn't do anything for her except give her a ride. One of the hardest things about these parables, one of the hardest things about the gospel is we feel like it's all about us, all the things we have to do in order to get something from God, when in fact the truth is, I wasn't being a very good Samaritan in the first place, and that if Jesus was there at all, he certainly wasn't with me, he was with the woman in the bikini. And that's the story of the gospel. God is on high judging us from afar, but that God has taken on flesh to be in the ditch of all of our lives. I'm not you, I'm pretty good at pretending like I've got my life figured out. I'm really good. I wear a really good mask. I only have to do it for two hours every Sunday. You all have it easier. You only have to do it for one hour on Sunday. Unless you're in the choir, because then you do have to do it for two hours. <laughs> but my life is a mess. I've got my own dish that I'm stuck in. I know a lot of you want to know you do too. But here's the good news. I've told the story a bunch of times. There's a man who gets stuck in a hole in the middle of the road. He can't get his way out. And the pastor comes by and looks in the hole and says, Oh, son, if you just pray harder, God will make a way. And then he walks away. Then a doctor comes by and sees the man in the hole and says, Oh, son, here's a prescription. Take these pills and you'll get out of the hole. Then a Sunday school teacher comes by, looks in the hole, sees the man and says, Son, don't you know God helps those who help themselves? So start helping yourself. And then finally a friend comes. A friend sees his friend down in the hole and he jumps in the hole right next to him. The friend says, you idiot, now we're both stuck down here. He says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. That's Jesus. Jesus is not standing on the rim of the hole we found ourselves in, mocking us or telling us what to do to get our way out. Jesus has jumped into the hole of our miserable lives and said, I've been here, and I know the way out. Follow me. Follow me. Would you please pray with me? Lord, according to your strange mercy, you've called together a bunch of losers. A bunch of losers who have done nothing to deserve what you've done for us. A bunch of losers who find ourselves in ditches of our own making or those made by the world, and we don't know how to get out. Thanks to you, O Lord, we don't have to get out because you've come to find us and show us the way through. You use things, O Lord, like sermon and song and sacrament to help us see that way. So, Lord, help us to be mindful, not only of the ditch we're in, but the ditch that our neighbors are in, the ditch that our friends are in, the ditch that our family is in, people all over the world, so that instead of judging them from on high, we might realize and remember that we're in it with them, just as you're in it with us. Amen. Amen.